I had no idea that I would be using something that I learned during running a call center operations for a big global bank during 9-11 and how that could possibly apply. Oh, wow. Okay, wait, back up for a second. You, yeah, let's not like, let's not jump over there for a second. You did what now? Hi, and welcome to Fun With Failure, a podcast about individual and organizational resilience. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. Kristen Winkelbeck is the executive director of Social Venture Partners Charlotte. SVP attacks social and economic inequality and promotes nonprofit innovation across the region through venture philanthropy. She brings over two decades of corporate experience to the role, including her former position as senior vice president at Bank of America Merchant Services. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to have you. Uh, You and I have worked together a little bit over the last couple years because of your role at SVP. So can you tell me a little bit more about the organization and what is venture philanthropy? Absolutely. And it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to benefit from your expertise. But Social Venture Partners Charlotte is an affiliate of a broader network. We're an independent 501c3 organization, but we're connected to an international network that also subscribes to this notion of venture philanthropy. So essentially, the easiest way to explain what we do is many people are familiar with venture capitalists and what venture capitalists do. And they they invest their not only their dollars, but also their time, their professional expertise, their talent, and their social capital, their networks, their business and personal connections into high value, high potential, high growth businesses. We do the same thing, but we're investing in high growth, high potential and innovative nonprofits. And so SVP Charlotte, as we refer to ourselves, was actually brought here into the Charlotte area in 2005. So we just celebrated our 18th anniversary. And we're one of 40 cities in seven countries around the world affiliated with Social Venture Partners International to do this kind of work, investing in hyper-local emerging organizations that are really working and investing and, and, and coming alongside these nonprofits to make our communities a great place to work and live for everybody. So eight, you said 18 years. Yeah. Okay. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, that's, that's huge, right? That's a really long time. What do you wish people in Charlotte knew about SVP? I think we're kind of the best kept secret in town. Um, the, the fact of the matter is the organization has worked so hard to lift up so many of the incredibly innovative frontline organizations that we invest in that sometimes we have not done a great job of explaining that there's a nonprofit really largely driven by individual and corporate volunteer donor volunteers that we refer to as partners. So to be a partner with SVP, you're investing financially because we obviously need to be able to make grants. We need to be able to run our programming and have staff like me um, do the work, but the work wouldn't be possible without the individuals who are lawyers and fundraisers and finance professionals and marketers and stay-at-home parents that used to have corporate work jobs. And and honestly, we I literally tell people we've had everything from anesthesiologists to airline pilots, lawyers and bankers, to entrepreneurs, to, to just parents that are passionate and committed to certain causes in our community. So it's a model of giving where everyone can get involved. 
and and that it's you don't have to have any specialized expertise because at the end of the day the nonprofits that we're supporting are trying to solve problems that will help their organizations run more effectively and we're all consumers we're all potential volunteers we're all potential donors and so a lot of times we bring thought partnership we bring an intellectual curiosity and we we bring an intense commitment and passion towards helping these organizations who are mostly underfunded and understaffed we're coming alongside them as thought partners and an extra set of hands, eyes, ears, and hearts um, to, to, to help them be better and to be more efficient so that they can do what they do the best they can do it. I want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit more about you and what brought you to the organization in the first place. You said you worked in you know, corporate America. You ran the call center. Uh, for the you know for for the bank, and then I read somewhere that you you know took a sabbatical. I did. So talk to me about why you took a sabbatical. What did you do, and what happened after? Yeah, so I like to tell people I had my own great resignation in the uh, fall towards the end of 2017, and I had just reached a point where I didn't aspire to go to the next level professionally. I wasn't sure where I was seeing sort of, I was having a lot of deep reflection. Like there's probably something else that I I gained so much of skills, of knowledge, of an an amazing network of professionals and friends, quite frankly. But I just got to a point where I was like, I'm not sure what the second half of my career is going to look like. And I was very blessed and was able, and after a lot of prayerful discernment, quite honestly, just said, you need to just press pause. So my intention was to step out of the workforce in 2018 and kind of do some travel to see people around the country that I said, someday I'm going to come visit. Um, So I had sort of stacked out six months of just evaluating and going and seeing friends and doing things that I've wanted to do someday. I'm not independently wealthy at the time I was single. So I was like, along the way, you're going to need to network and do some exploration of what's next. Um, Leading up to my resignation from at the time I was working for Bank of America, I had gone through Wake Forest University has a nonprofit business program. It's a nine month certification program. I had gone through that while I was working at Bank of America in 2016 and into 2017. And so that had always been a curious part for me and an interesting space. I've been a longtime volunteer and obviously community supporter. So I was just, that was always sort of as a possibility. So I started networking. Um, My management style in corporate was also that of a coach, right? I'm not really a dictator. I'm not really, I didn't, most of the time I didn't have the answers, but I had a a curiosity and a collaborative spirit. So I decided in the summer of 2018 to enroll in an International Coach Federation coaching certification program. And so I went through that program. I started my boutique executive career transition coaching practice, which I still have as a side hustle. Um, I started that business in the summer of 2018. And I really devoted myself to that for the rest of 2018. But what I found during that time was I didn't, I didn't really like the solopreneur lifestyle. I was wired to be in community, I was wired to be working as part of a team. And so you you seem like an extrovert, (laughs) just a little. Yeah. So I could, I could see that I could see the solopreneur aspect would be, would be challenging. It seems like you're the type of person that really thrives on being around people, connecting people. You, you kind of feed off their energy. So I, I 
understand why that would be a challenge. I also like to think I'm pretty self-aware and I'm not an expert at everything. So the other piece about being a solopreneur is that you don't have anybody else to call upon, you know, to fill in the gaps. So that was, that was the other piece was I missed the collaboration and I realized I didn't have all the answers. I wasn't, you know, there were tasks and part of running a business that I wasn't great at. So I started to think about, okay, what, what might be next? And so as I embarked upon the networking and exploration, that's when I became accustomed to social venture partners. And for me at that time, it was an intersection of business, coaching, and purpose. And so... Ding, ding, ding. ding. Right. And so just the more I learned about it, the more I'm like, why didn't I know? Like, how is it that I've been working on, you know, the center of trade and try on for 10 years and had no idea this amazing organization exists and has existed for 15, you know, 15 years or so. And so that's really, you know, it wasn't that I was laser focused on the nonprofit sector. I was looking for something that was going to allow me to use all of my experience, challenge me, be part of a culture and work within a team and an organization that aligned with my values and aligned with my approach, my general, you know, approach to how, how the work gets done. So I would just say, like, I wasn't just looking at the nonprofit sector. I was looking at a lot of things. But this, at that time, it really hit the mark and was the, really the intersection of all the different things I brought to the table, but also was looking to use in a daily role. And then, you know, I, I will say I threw my name into the ring. Um, the previous executive director, I should say this, she's the only one we ever had. The, the organization from 2005 until 2008 was 100% volunteer. My predecessor was hired in 2008 and was the only staff member until 2015, hired one other staff member. And then she just, she had reached a point in her life that she was able to retire. You know, she had grandchildren and, and she had worked so hard to build our organization up. And so she had told the board in the spring of 2019 that she intended to retire in the fall and they launched a search and, Oddly enough, it was a seed 20 coach that knew me personally and said, Hey, I think you should look into this. And I'll just say for anybody who's out there that might be wrestling with imposter syndrome, like at this point in my life, I had never been on a board and I had never worked on staff in a nonprofit, but I brought a lot of business acumen. I brought this academic experience about learning how to run the business of a nonprofit. And I bought, I brought a curiosity to, the work and I, and I put myself in the ring and I, and I put it in there with really no expectation of like, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And I just found that a lot more of my skills were transferable and the things I didn't know, like how to fundraise or how to maybe run effective board meetings. Like I went out and hired myself a coach and I read a lot of books and I listened to a lot of podcasts and I immersed myself with people who were smarter than me on those tactics to help me get up that curve quickly. Yeah. So smart. Yeah, co- I mean, coaches need coaches. Yeah, I, I I always have a coach. <laughs> There's, I'm always getting coached and have a coaching relationship with somebody for one part of my life, and so that that certainly played into it. And and I would be absolutely remiss in saying like I had the most wonderful board, and our partners are all deeply committed to the success of the organization. So getting back to the fact that all the impacts and all those wonderful outcomes that we talked about earlier are only possible because of the generosity and the talent and the commitment of our partners, our donor volunteers. They're the ones, they're the secret sauce. I just get to be the shepherd to help 
provide the infrastructure to, to make that more plausible. This episode of Fun with Failure is brought to you by Delivery Path. Are you happy with your website provider? Because I definitely am. I use Delivery Path because they specialize in web hosting, security, and optimization. That means my site is fast, secure, and stable. It's online all the time, and I don't have to worry about it because that's their job, and they're really good at it. They take care of the daily, weekly, and monthly upgrades, so my site is always up to date. Unlike discount WordPress web hosting companies, Delivery Path provides concierge-level customer service. If you ever have a problem with your website, they don't just use chatbots to help you, they actually chat with you. When you call Delivery Path, someone local answers the phone. When it comes to WordPress website hosting, you get what you pay for. So if you think your business is worth $5, then get a discount vendor. But if you really want your website to work for you, then let the experts at Delivery Path manage it for you. And they're offering a special discount for our listeners. If you mention the promo code FUN, you'll get 10% off your first three months. For more information, visit deliverypath.com or email service at deliverypath.com. So how many people are on staff? Two. Me and one other full-time person. Okay. Would you like an espresso? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am usually very heavily caffeinated. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. So, okay, so two people, the only two people full-time on staff. Yeah. Is it is everyone else volunteers? Is yes. it all volunteer-based? Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you give me an example when you say we have all these different partners and volunteers and people coming in to work together to share social capital and share expertise? Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of what that looks like? Gosh, I'm trying to think of just one because there are so many good examples. Um, Here in the Charlotte region, especially if you have children in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, you may have heard of an organization called HeartMath Tutoring. And HeartMath, we are not typically in the business of starting nonprofits. But in this case, there was communities and schools, the Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system and SVP almost 10 years ago, were looking for a way to enhance volunteer support in the schools, and therefore HeartMath Tutoring was born. Um, Essentially, they were born out of some funding with Social Venture Partners Investee, and we helped them go from an all-volunteer capacity to hiring, you know, Emily um, Gaffney, who's their executive director, and have continued to grow. Started in one school. Now they're upwards of 30 schools here in Charlotte. And, you know, we invested in them for a number of years. We helped put some people on their board. We helped them just with their programming and, and a whole bunch of different things while they were in our portfolio. And then in 2020, we introduced our third program, which doesn't involve any financial investment, but it involves the thought partnership and that project based, like tapping into the resources and and knowledge and skill sets of our partners. And so HeartMath came to us and said, we're doing such great things here in Charlotte. We think we can do more. We've identified Charleston, South Carolina as a, a new market we'd like to pilot in. We know that there are things that need to be done in order to expand. And so we came alongside them and help them to map out all their processes and identify which processes are central and which processes are local. And so that as they planned for that expansion, they then knew which things, you know, they needed to document and train at the local level, which things they needed to centralize and things they needed to think about as they continued to expand. And they did 
two, I think they did two schools in Charleston this academic year. And from all accounts, it's going really well. And the other thing is that staff, which started as all volunteers, hired their first executive director. I don't even know how many they have on staff now. I'm guessing somewhere between 10 and 15 staff members and their budgets in the millions. Whereas it started out literally with like, SVP is going to give you $50,000. Right. Yeah. That's that's great. That's one example of an organization. And we have countless, you know, we've had 24 organizations go through the multi-year investment grant program. And so those are the long, deep relationships. Seed 20, which is our innovation and pitch program, just closed out our 10th class. We've had 190 organizations go through that storytelling program. And of that 190, about 165 of them are still operating. If people are interested, if they think, you know, people might be thinking, well, I have no idea what I would contribute. I have no idea what I would do. It sounds like a lot of work. Like, who who volunteers? Who? Mm-hmm. How do you get involved? What do you need? Yeah, the best thing to do is just reach out to me directly. Um, you can find my contact information on our website, which is svpcharlotte.org. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Kristen Winkelbeck, as an individual, send me a direct message. I think what people underestimate is just smart, committed people have a lot of lived experience and bring a perspective that is outside the staff or board. And so sometimes just a willingness to ask insightful questions. Um, And then the other thing is people that come to our organization find this is a really good opportunity to learn about how to become a more effective donor, how to become a more, they, they get educated about issues that maybe they didn't even know were issues because of the world in which they live in. And so you don't, we Our work is almost never, I kind of joke, but the first name in our word is social. Number one, we like to have fun. And number two, you're not doing this volunteer work in a bubble or in in isolation. So you're coming alongside other partners, other donor volunteers that may have been doing this for a little longer and have skill sets and knowledge you don't have. And so you learn together. And there's really, I mean, we have airline pilots. You could argue, well, what does an airline pilot know about you know, being a, you know, being a donor. Well, he, he's a donor. He's a concerned community member. He asks questions that the average person would ask, right? He's incredibly logical. He, you know, he, he has kind of a data driven mindset, right? And so he brings just his disposition, his personality. He's amazing. He's been on like two fundraising projects and people are like, what does, what does an airline pilot know about fundraising? He's our donor. Like he's our target, right? So he asks the question that may seem obvious and we're like, oh, we didn't think about that. Or, oh, that's confusing. Like, what would you want to see? What, what would you want to hear about? And so anybody can, we meet the organizations where they are. I like to also share that these nonprofits are going to have to try to figure out these problems with or without the support of SVP. And so we're coming alongside them to be an extra, extra safe place. Right? We're not casting judgment. We're not coming in saying we have all the answers. What we are saying is we believe in what you're doing. We'd like to see you succeed. We see that you're, you know, working through this challenge. We'd like to to come alongside and help. I also imagine that um, failure might play a role in some of the donor volunteers, right? I'm thinking if I were someone who tried to set up a nonprofit, you know, I'm in my 40s or 50s, I had tried to set up a nonprofit in my 20s and it didn't go anywhere because I burnt out or whatever and I couldn't raise the money, I didn't mm-hmm. know what I was doing. 
coming in as a donor volunteer, if, if I know that, oh, there's someone in the community who's trying to set up a food insecurity program, mm-hmm. oh, I tried to do that in my 20s. And here, mm-hmm. here are all the things I did wrong. Mm-hmm. Don't do it this way. Mm-hmm. Would also might probably be pretty valuable to share that expertise. And that's where it is kind of fun with failure because then you turn something that maybe wasn't great for you into something that's great for someone else because you share best practices and what to do and what to not do. Or you've had a professional experience or a group dynamic or something hasn't gone well and you're like, man, if somebody had told me that when I was in my 20s or if somebody had told me that when I was just getting started in a new organization, um, I think that's one of the things that we... We also serve as a connector. So when you think about our investment program and our seed 20 program, which are most our biggest programs, right? We have relationships with nearly 200 nonprofits locally. And when I say locally, we're not limited to just Mecklenburg County. We consider the greater Charlotte region to be any county that sort of touches Mecklenburg. So that extends, you know, up well up into the Lake Norman region, all the way down into the upstate of, of South Carolina. So it's a pretty big, you know, geographic footprint of the metro Charlotte area. And so we definitely have seen organizations that have walked through challenges, not necessarily from the point of failure, but struggle, right? And we've seen organizations that have overcome that. And so we also serve as a connector to say, you guys are trying to grow your board or you're trying to enhance your fundraising strategy. We worked with X nonprofit over here. Let us connect you. Let us help you learn what did they learn and how did they overcome that very challenge. Let us connect you. And nonprofit leaders are incredibly generous. They want, you know, there's enough to go around. They don't, it is a hard, it is a hard and holy job. And, and they want to, you know, someone was kind enough to help them. Most of the time they want to pay it forward or, or give back to. And so very rarely have we ever reached out to an organization and said, you've overcome this issue five years ago when you were just getting going and when you started to really take off and you had to adjust from a founder's board to a more sustainable, diverse leadership board, would you be willing or would your board chair be willing to talk to this board chair who's just getting started and who's encountering some of those early stage challenges, right? We can learn from one another. We can repeat or accelerate the time of learning and success by bridging the gap and by bringing people who are supporting similar populations. You know, we've all seen scope creep in the nonprofit world. Well, oh, I started out to do X and now I need to add financial literacy and I need to add food insecurity and I, and that wasn't the mission. Right. Right. right, right. And so yep. one of the things I love to see is the intense amount of collaboration across our portfolio because it's like, no, 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 you don't need to stand up a financial literacy program. You need to call, you know, Chuck Jones at Commonwealth Charlotte and, and see if he'd be willing to deliver their programming. They're the experts. They're another success story, by the way. Um, they, we, they were early on in our investment portfolio, and now they're serving. I think they have partnerships with well over 50 nonprofits in the city. Oh, they're so just great. a premier. They, their expertise is in financial literacy. I'm obsessed with financial literacy. I think it is so important. It is well, so important. and populations that may be experiencing challenges with affordable housing and food insecurity and maybe discrimination because they're immigrants or refugees, they need financial literacy support too. And rather than trying to everybody build their own little silo of financial literacy, 
let's collaborate. Let's right. bring Part, in the partner experts. with the person who's already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's more about how can we accelerate the learning so they don't have to go through as much trial and error if they can learn from another organization that's already a little further down on the path they want to go. Sure. Yeah. And that makes, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. And I've never met a nonprofit founder who was stingy with their knowledge. No. <laughs> they, they, just, they just don't exist. No, it's not in their DNA. Yeah. About Seed 20. So you've talked a lot about Seed 20, but I want to kind of clarify it because I don't think we've actually explained yeah. what it is. So it's a nonprofit pitch competition. So over the course of two months or several months, participants receive training, coaching, feedback, and mentoring on how to powerfully tell their story. And then it culminates uh, on stage in front of anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people where 10 members of the class compete to win cash and in-kind awards by making a three-minute pitch. So this is where – that's one of the events that you guys do every year. So this is where I came in as the pitch prof. I was invited to to lead the kickoff event for – all of the participants and all of the coaches several years ago. And we did, you know, I do my signature storytelling as a superpower talk to really help people and prepare people to pitch on stage. Mm -hmm. And I talk about the difference between a presentation and a performance, which is really important to understand when you're on stage, review all the elements in a performer's toolkit, share strategies for how to structure a pitch and tricks on how to manage public speaking anxiety. So this is work that I do for corporate clients around the country, usually as like half day or day long or, you know, month long engagements. But, Mm -hmm. you know, y'all get the hour version just to kick everyone, just to kick everyone off. And then this year I did pitch coaching for pitch coaches Mm -hmm. workshop also, which was great. Um, So, can you talk a little, because I know that Seed 20 has changed. There was sort of Seed 20 kind of before the pandemic and Seed 20 after the pandemic, and you didn't do it, I think, for a year or two in there. Now, you started as the executive director, like, October 2019. Yeah. So you're coming into a break. So you've left corporate America at this point. You've taken some time off. You've decided to go into the nonprofit space. You come into this organization just getting your foundation of what it is and what your role is and how you're going to work within that role and in that space. And then COVID hits. Uh-huh. And the the event pitched, the C20 event that year, I think was scheduled for March, I think. March 31st, 2020. Uh, it's burned into your brain. Forever. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about again, how you, how you manage that transition and what you've learned and, you know, any mistakes that you've made along the way. Sure. I had no idea that I would be using something that I learned during running a call center operations for a big global bank during 9-11 and how that could possibly apply. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, back up for a second. You, (laughs) yeah, let's not like, let's not jump over there for a second. You did what now? So, when it became very clear, and, and I almost remember the day, you know, it was like March 10th or something, and I'm driving to the meeting with our team to identify who of the 20 is going to be on stage. My husband calls me and goes, hey, there's this term that I think you really need to be aware of. It's called social distancing. And he goes, you know, I sent you to Costco a week ago and told you to buy a 20-pound bag of rice, and I told you this pandemic thing was coming, and so you really probably should think contingency planning. And I went, 
oh. And he's like, I'm not kidding. You're probably not going to have your event. Now, you know, he's not a prophet or any, he just is an avid news junkie and had been tracking it for a while. Sure. Can you give him my number so that right? if he sees anything on the horizon, <laughs> he can know, call right? me because I am constantly anxious all about that, what's coming down the pike. All that is to say is that a big part of my professional life was running call center operations for large global banks. And so I was doing that when 9-11 happened. It literally saw, wow. you know, was was running a telemarketing call center. Please, no hate mail. Um, <laughs> I was young and I needed a job. But we had to pivot and we had to set up this SWAT team of executives that met multiple times a day and assessed the situation, identified the decisions that needed to be made, set our next briefing. And that is how I managed a call center through an, an, a national crisis, right? So when this whole concept of there might be something on the horizon that could jeopardize our ability to have Seed 20 on stage in 2020, I said to our steering committee that night, could I get a couple of you to be my SWAT team that we will, we will convene every morning at 9 a.m. And if I don't have any updates to give you, it'll be a five minute, here's what I know, and we will go on about our business. But I basically used that operational tactical maneuver to lead us through the changes that we needed to be that needed to be made. And ultimately what we decided to do in 2020 was we decided to take the pitch part and put it online. We were one of the first virtual events in 2020. Everyone kept saying, just delay it, just delay it. And I was like, delay it till when? Like how long will we don't know when we can resume? Right. And when you have groups all queued up, they practice were on the their three minute pitch. They're like, I'm going to forget it in six months. We're going to have to start all over. That's again. the equivalent of being on the five yard line yeah. with a first down yeah. and then calling the game for rain in the Super Bowl or something. Right. Like they yeah. were ready. And so we pressed on and we thankfully had amazing um, AV partners who were like, we can do this. And so we pressed on. And, and it was the right thing. We had other cities, I mentioned that we are part of a bigger international network. We had other cities that decided to defer theirs. And I will long standing, I will say we made the right call. Because the other thing that we all know now is that the world would not get back to normal for a long time. And funding and fundraising and all of those things would not return to quote unquote normal for a long time. And so we felt like pushing out a virtual event would call attention to these nonprofits. They got some donations. They got some notoriety. They got some publicity for this that they would have otherwise not gotten. And so we felt really strongly about pushing that forward. So we considered that to be a, a it was not a live event. I want to say that because that leads to where we are now. Um, it was pre-recorded. They still only got three minutes to give their pitch and we didn't give them multiple takes. They got one shot. Yeah. So it was it was still in keeping with the spirit of what we wanted to do back in 2020. And it was still good. I mean, I saw yeah. I saw in 2019 and I was at the live event and I saw 2020 and it was still it was great. Also, all the rest of us were home wondering what the hell are we going to do? So, right. Yeah, I'm going to people going to check this. Li people had kind of caught up on all the yeah. movies they wanted to catch up on by the end of March. And they were like, now what? I'm stuck at home. So it was a great family friendly event. We, we got a lot of positive feedback about it. In 2021, things weren't still were not in a place where we felt comfortable gathering in large, large groups. So we decided to look back. And so we had what we called from seed to harvest, which was a look back at nine of our previous alumni from the nine years before. 
we did little video, we, we updated videos for them. And then we held three sort of intimate virtual experiences where the audience via Zoom could interact with those alumni and we debuted their new videos. And so that's what we did in 2021. 2022 was still an interesting year. We were still very much not certain about the state of the world. And again, our, our event is typically in the spring. So we have to make decisions about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it six plus months in advance. So our organization in the summer of 2021 is sitting, looking into 2022 saying, what do we, what should we do right into the fall really? And so what we ultimately we did a lot of listening to previous organizations because we're connected to so many nonprofits. A lot of people were really tired. Um, and I don't just mean like staff or volunteers. I mean like my nonprofit colleagues, we were seeing an in incredible amount of nonprofit compassion fatigue, leadership fatigue yes. because they had been leading these yep. organizations hard and heavy. And so the program that we offer, while awesome as it is, does require a big investment of additional time above and beyond their day jobs running their organizations to prepare. Sure. Yeah, it can be a heavy lift. It's a it's a really heavy lift. Um, and so we just took our cues and said, maybe we need to press pause and maybe we just need to, to just press press pause and we'll use 2022 to go back and talk to more of our alumni about what they liked, about what they didn't like, about what they wish was different. We talked to our sponsors. We talked to our longtime partners. We talked to some of our longtime fans and asked, like, what do you love? What do you wish were different? Where do you see the needs of our nonprofit leaders today? Because the world looks different. And so we heard a lot of interesting pieces of feedback. One of, a couple of the innovations that we introduced this year was this year we only identified 10 nonprofits. In years past, we identified 20. They H all Hence the name, Seed yeah, 20. Right, right. Well, Seed 20 now means 20,000. We've given away $20,000 as the grand prize, Heck right? yeah, you do. So, so Seed 20 is a brand that is recognizable around the community and really for us now represents the $20,000 grand prize. Yeah, and Wells Fargo was the was our, signature yes, sponsor this shout year. Out to shout out to Wells, Wells and Ally and, and, and McGuire Woods and Moore and Van Allen and Town Bank and all the amazing organizations. And Imagine On and the Children's Theater. Yeah, and, and all the sponsors on our Seed 20 sponsorship page. Yes. We could not produce this program without it. Yeah. So we took this opportunity to think about one of the challenges were 20 organizations went through the program on the final night, we chose 10 finalists to take the stage. And those 10 that didn't get to take the stage could participate in the reception, all the other things, but they didn't get to tell their story. And we heard that that didn't feel fair. And so let's try. The other piece is I went to my peers who also have fast pitch programs like Seed20 in the Social Venture Partners International space and said, tell me about your program. How big are yours? And most of them were putting anywhere between eight and 12 organizations through it. So we decided that it would be a good time to test the waters of let's just pick 10, knowing that all 10 are going to take the stage and really focus all of our energy, coaching, support. The other thing we didn't mention is beyond the coaching and support, they also get updated headshots from a professional photographer and they get video assets that they can use on their website and their marketing. And so all of those things, you know, contribute to what we're supporting them. 
The other thing is that we are expanding our programming. So we're trying not to say things culminate in the onstage event because really now we're providing support beyond the stage. So we have a series of fundraising and skill building workshops that we're working on for this summer. We have the Spark Team program, which they'll be eligible to request a project. We have some networking with our bigger Seed 20 network in the fall. So we're really looking at how we can enhance the support we offer to the nonprofits going forward. The other thing that we planned for, and also I think the world has just come to want, is the ability to participate remotely and virtually. And so this year we have done live streams once or twice in the past. It's been in the pretty distant past, but this year it was an intentional part of our design to sell live stream tickets where you could be in another state, you could be at home because you didn't want to get a babysitter or you just maybe don't like crowds and you're not, or you don't feel well, or you have COVID yourself. Um, you know, right. Yeah. You or you're still a family member yeah. overseas who still wants to yeah. watch. Yeah. So this year we intentionally by design created a ticketing experience where someone could log in and, and watch the, the onstage program virtually. And so that was a new, that was a new innovation this year. Um, we want to talk about failure a little bit. We had a little snafu where um, we had a portion of our online viewers that didn't get the link in time. And so we profusely apologized to them. We offered refunds. We also offered to direct their, their ticket price to one of the participants of their choosing. Um, so we learned a, f a few things about how to do that better um, and oh, deliver so that. So since they bought a ticket and they weren't able to actually see the event, you took the funds, the funds from that ticket and they yes. were able to donate it. Yeah. We offered oh, them, yeah, yeah, we offered them a refund or we offered to donate yep. it to their nonprofit of choice in the class of 2023. So yep. we learned we had a, you know, technology's great till it isn't. Um, and so we learned about that and we, we made it right and, and we, you know, we will do better next time. Yep. So we did that. The other innovation. Can I also say something for a second? Cause I want to also apologize to the on line attendees I co-hosted the event this year so this was the first time that I was on stage and I had my script and I had all my talking points and I, I didn't welcome our our people that were watching the live stream I just focused on the in-person audience and you know it was great and everyone afterwards like oh it was such a great event and I just kept thinking <clears throat> fun this isn't fun that's just failure <laughs> I didn't welcome our online guests so I'm so sorry if you attended and I did not acknowledge you yeah, I think, you know, again, it was the first time we had done it in a really long time. And the first time we had done true live streaming in probably more than six years. Um, so, and technology is different now and everything about how we expect as a consumer to engage in online program, I think is really different. And so we, we had some wins and we had, you know, those that saw it said it was a great experience. We had a few that we you know, had to make right and yeah. we'll get it better next year yep. um, or the next time we do it. And the other piece that was a really big innovation and I'm so excited about is we made an online donation platform available to both the online community and ticket holders. And so it was a direct and convenient way in which people that wanted to support financially could and so I'm really happy to say as we sit here at the end of May or nearing the end of May, um, we've generated over $50,000 of real dollars that are going to go to those nonprofits 
Um, and there's some just really cool learnings about that too, that um, we've, we've just, it was a wild success. Wells Fargo, again, generously of that 50, $20,000 was a match. Um, they said, we will match up to $20,000 of any funds that you raise from the community. That's awesome. And so we had, you know, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 115 different donations that make up, you know, that $50,000. And so we're, we're so grateful for that experience. That was a best practice that was shared from the Tucson, Arizona affiliate and the Charleston, South Carolina affiliate. And so we tested it and we think it was a smashing success. And we're excited that beyond just the $31,000 of cash we gave as part of the awards on stage, that now this additional 51,000 has been generated in value. Oh, that's awesome. So that's, so that's 80, over 80, yeah. 80 grand total. Oh, that's, that makes me so happy. Yeah. yeah. I remember in 2019 being in the audience and hearing the pitches and thinking like, oh, I want to remember this person or, oh, I want to go back and donate or, oh, but it's, you know, then it's three minutes later, there's someone else on and then mm -hmm. someone else on. But with mm -hmm. this online donation platform, and it was great saying it from the stage and encouraging people, you know, if you're moved or touched mm -hmm. or impressed and, you know, by what you hear right now, open up your phone, text this number and you can donate any amount right. to either that one individual or you can donate an amount and you can split it evenly across all of them. Right. You can pick a few of them. So I love that. Yeah, that, you know, one of the blessings that we didn't expect to see was part of the program that you received if you were in the audience was a handout with all the organizations and a convenient QR code to give. I can't tell you how many pictures of that I saw on social media the day after saying, please give to these organizations. And so we've continued, we've kept the, you know, the event happened April 27th. We're here at the end of May and we kept it open intentionally um, to allow people because some people want to go home and do a little more research and you maybe check with their financial advisor or consult with their spouse or, or someone else to decide what they want to give. And so we have seen donations. Of course, we got a huge spike at the event and following the event, but we've seen donations come through. And so that was a big learning of additional value, real hard dollars that the program, you know, that I suspect we will absolutely keep moving forward because it just was such a wild success. And, you know, people can company match and, you know, it's, it's a, just a great, it's a great opportunity to really help where you can. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I'm so glad that you and I got a chance to kind of sit down and do this. We've sort of, we've always seen each other at events or in passing and it's, Hey, how's it going? And this and that, but really sort of doing the deep dive dive has been helpful for me and hopefully people listening. And if anyone listening does feel inspired and does want to get involved, you can go to svpcharlotte.org is our master website. Um, Seed20.org is, is our programmatic website that supports, you know, just the, the folks that have come through the pitch program, but our full suite of offerings is at SVP Charlotte. You can also link over to, to Seed22. But in terms of getting involved, like I'm happy to talk to people, you know, meet for coffee, have a quick phone call, help them understand. We've got case studies to share that helps kind of walk through an engagement, like to start to crystallize some of these success stories and some of the ways in which we've helped. And the um, website is also where nonprofits can go if they want to find out more about how to get involved. Absolutely. The one, the number one thing I hear too is I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit or I'd like to benefit. We do offer programming. Like we have some free board workshops that are open to community members that might want to be board members someday or to organizations 
that are always looking to strengthen their boards. And so by signing up for our electronic newsletter on our website, that's where we announce all those things. And when we do have an application window for our grant program or for Seed20, that is always going to be announced through our electronic newsletter and on social media. But the electronic newsletter will ensure that you get, and we're not one of those organizations that cranks out a newsletter every week. I only have two people on staff. So we're very selective and we, we try to be very potent. When we put out a newsletter, it's because we have something we're announcing. We have good news to share. You know, there, there's an event coming up that we want people to be aware of. And that includes nonprofits as well. That's great. Well, again, thank you so much for coming in. This has been really, this has been really fun. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you. And thank you for all your support and sharing your talents and investing your expertise to, to our nonprofit community. It's what it takes to make these organizations flourish. It's an honor, and I hope more people get involved. We'll see you next time. Thanks. You can learn more about the show at funwithfailure.com. If you want to say hi or find out about sponsorship opportunities, our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go have some fun. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.